Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Piccolo. And I want to give a shout out to Matthew Betley for coming on the Protectors Podcast. Now, one topic we do cover tonight is burn pit exposure. Now, if you don't know anything about burn pits, what happens when U.S. forces deploy overseas, whether it's Djibouti, Iraq, Afghanistan, anywhere, there are these big pits that everything gets dumped to and it gets burned. Now, what that does is it emits a noxious fume that affects our troops, contractors, and civilians that are operating overseas. So I'll be posting a lot of links out to that today. There are so many veterans, civilians, contractors that have been affected by burn pits, myself included and including Matthew. Now, please take a look at some of the links I'm going to post on my social media about burn pits. And Matthew and I will discuss burn pits in a little more in depth during this conversation. I know I, I kind of give an apology out to Matthew because I, you know, once I got on a topic of burn pits, you know, we forgot to talk so much about his book. But Matthew has some great books out right now, fiction, some of the best thrillers out there. Thank you, Matthew. Got a really cool guest today. I got Matthew Betley, former Marine officer, combat veteran, and a really, really, really popular author in the fiction realm. How's it going, Matthew? Uh, it's going well. How, how are you, Jason? I'm doing really good. Good. I just found out we don't live that far from each other. I'm going to have to start doing these podcasts in person sometime. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, no. I am definitely in, in the D.C. area. D.C. It's the, uh, I don't know, it's one of those places where you, you want to visit, but you don't want to stay, right? No, and you don't want to be on the Beltway anytime after 2 o'clock. Exactly. I'm like right literally on the Beltway. So <laughs> it's kind of fun trying to get home at night if I end up driving in. So you have a uh, a very varied background. Marine officer, uh, you were in charge of a scout sniper platoon, and now you're an author. How, yes. How does, how does all of this begin? Well, it, it begins uh, really um, with the Marine Corps, in, in, and in fact, it even begins before that. Uh, instead of going to a, to a top 10 law school, and that was my track uh, after I graduated college, and I worked in corporate America for five years uh, in Cincinnati, I ended up deciding to go into the Marine Corps instead, and I ended up going to officer candidate school. And I got my choice of MOS, which was what's called 0203 in the Marine Corps, Ground Intelligence Officer, which afforded me the opportunity. And, and really, that's what it is. It, it, it's, it's an honor to be able to go to the Infantry Officer course, a Scout Sniper Platoon Commander's course, some intelligence courses. And then I was very fortunate to command a Scout Sniper Platoon, you know, become a weapons instructor for, for advanced marksmanship. And then I deployed to Africa after 9-11. I deployed to Fallujah uh, before the surge when it was not a good time to be in Al-Ambar province. And, and then I got out of the Marine Corps in, in uh, 2009 after 10 years. And, and I've been out almost 10 years. Um, but one of the things that all my readers and fans know is that I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic, 10 plus years sober. And uh, I didn't get arrested. I didn't get a DUI. I didn't get into a fight. I mean, God knows I've done all the. I, I should have probably at some point in my life. 
but I but I hit my rock bottom, and I ended up using the military's outpatient rehab program at Joint Base Andrews uh, for five and a half weeks. I drove down there every day, and, and I got sober, and, and it stuck. Um, and, and you know, it's kind of funny that that was the the transition uh, into the civilian life after the Marine Corps. Uh, I was sober for six months. And I was on vacation with my wife, and I was reading this boring bestseller that made me so angry because it was so tactically inept that, and only one person got shot, and quite honestly, it should have been the protagonist, that I turned <laughs> to my wife and I said, I could write a better book than this. And I obsessed about it for an entire year, and then in August of 2010, I sat down and started writing the first draft for Overwatch which didn't come out until 2016 from Simon and & Schuster. And, and, you know, since then, you know, it's kind of landed me where I am. The first book was, was nominated for what's called the Barry Award for Best Overall Thriller of 2016. The Military Times named it a Top 10 of 2016. And that was the beginning of my career and, and the beginning of my Logan West series. And, and the rest, as they say, is kind of history. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more that goes into it, but that, that's the, the quick hits for you and, and the listeners. Yeah, that's a summary of your life in, in three minutes and 56 seconds. Exactly. <laughs> now, let's backtrack a little bit. Now, growing up, did you want to be in the military? Or uh, how did that come about? No, no. In, in fact, I did not want to be in the military. I, I, I did at one point always want to be in the FBI. Um, but, you know, like I said, a num- for a number of reasons, I ended up figuring that I- it's really funny. I-, I graduated college in 94. I had a degree in psychology, a minor in political science, a minor in sociology. And I had done an internship in Washington, D.C., investigating felony murder cases for the public defender's office in 1993. And Southeast D.C. was not a good place to be in 1993 for anyone who, who remembers what it was like. Uh, it's really ironic because I go to some places that I visited back then now, and there's Targets and Starbucks and Whole Foods. But back then, it was the Wild West. And now it's, it's funny you bring that up because my wife – well, my wife and I were enlisted in the 90s. We both became officers later on. But she was TDY out here in 95 uh, to D.C. For, for language school before she went over to C's, over to Serbia or Bosnia. And um, yeah, man, it, like D.C. was a completely different animal back then. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's you wouldn't go, you wouldn't go back then to the places you can just walk around now. Um, it, it was surreal, but it was a it was an amazing three month internship that I did. I clerked for, uh, I, I investigated for attorneys who had clerked for Thurgood Marshall. I met um, uh, Reuben Hurricane Carter, the boxer who was incarcerated, because one of the attorneys I did a case for was one of the ones responsible for freeing him from prison. The guy that Bob Dylan wrote the song about and Denzel played in the movie. Uh, you know, it was just a wild experience. I used to go to autopsies. I mean, it, it, it really was life-changing. And then I went back to Miami of Ohio, uh, my alma mater, to finish my senior year, which it just felt weird after being in that type of intense pace that I was in. And then, uh, you know, it was either law enforcement or the military. And back then, a lot of police departments weren't hiring. It was kind of crazy. And I wanted to come back to D.C., but they weren't hiring. They, they were under budget cuts. And so, I, you know, I worked in corporate America investigating accidents with injuries and fatalities. And then things just started. And I was working for Allstate at the time in Cincinnati. 
And, and, and as I mentioned, I, I was preparing to go to law school, but I had always had this uh, affinity for the military. And an event actually happened in my life that made me change my, my entire way of thinking overnight. I was in a movie, and, and out of the, and long story short, I stopped somebody from getting beaten up in a movie theater, and out of 400 people, I was the only person who stood up and helped this like elderly gentleman. And then the next day, I literally reevaluated what I wanted to do, decided I wanted to have a more, go where I could have a more direct impact. And I gave up law school, and I, I called the officer selection office in Columbus, Ohio, and a year and a half later, I was at OCS for the Marine Corps. That's kind of a roundabout way to get into the Marine Corps, though, but it, it, it's, it's it, really... It <laughs> now, why pick the Marines? I mean, you know, the as hardest, a form... <laughs> hard, hard, hardest service I could think of at the time. Uh, you know, I, I was offered a flight slot, and I turned it down, and I ended up getting my choice of MOS. So, you know, the Marine Corps is the Marine Corps. You know, it is a mm -hmm. special service, and, and we, we all let everybody know it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny. Now, so when did you commission? What year? Uh, 99. Oh, that's you and I are kind of like this weird trajectory because I commissioned 99. Then I went to infantry officer basic in, uh, 2001. So yeah, weird, bizarre world. Yes. Uh, cause you know, and that's the thing is a lot of people don't realize in the nineties, you know, I wanted to be a cop too when I got out of the service the first time and it's just, it was a different world. I mean, nineties were tough to try to find a police job. Oh, they, I, I remember getting rejections, and, and I was just like, this is kind of odd, especially with the internship I had done, my background in investigations. But, yeah, it was back then. It, it, was, a, it was a different world for sure. Now I think anyone, especially if you look at the state of the nation, you, you could probably walk down and get hired and start tomorrow in Baltimore. Not that you uh, would want to. <laughs> I can only imagine. You know, it's, it's a tough world for, um, for LELs. And that's one thing I want to get into later on when we talk about your um, – your alcoholism, because that's that's a big thing in the world right now when it comes to LEOs and stuff. I mean, it's always been there, but first I want to kind of get into your military background. So um, you head overseas. I mean, you're already commissioned. You head to Africa. What is that like being in, in charge for the first? Was that, That's obviously your first time you were in charge in like an overseas environment. Well, so Africa was uh, um, actually Africa was after I already had command of my scout sniper platoon. So uh, by the time I went to Africa in 2002, I had already, you know, it's everything's about timing. I had already done my time as a, a scout sniper platoon commander. Um, and in fact, I watched those guys go by us uh, in Djibouti and then end up going into Iraq. But even then, the, the platoon commander who followed me never even left the ship. They, like, split them off. I heard part of them went into one place and the other part stayed on, on ship. I have no idea why, I, you know, but, but that was something I heard. So I, I was, uh, I, I did, you know, Sudan was, I was the senior Sudan analyst, uh, which is why my second book, Oath of Honor, has half of the book takes place in Sudan. Um and, and I did something else called as a foreign disclosure officer where I was the one responsible for releasing or disclosing classified material to our coalition partners. And, and as, a, as a first lieutenant, I was holding an 06 billet, no kidding, where I was uh, appointed to this position by General Tommy Franks in a handwritten letter. It was crazy. It was a while. Yeah. So every night I would be telling all these 06s and a one star admiral and a two star general, no, you can't do this. To the point where they like threatened to throw me in the brig on ship just because they were always annoyed <laughs> with me. 
And that's a true story. <laughs> oh, it's like I said, man, different world, different times. That's Tommy Franks. I haven't heard that name in a while either. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea where he is. I know he wrote a book, and I, and that's about the last thing I remember. <laughs> so, what was it like to um to go from Africa and then you went to Iraq next, right? I did. Uh, I went to Fallujah, Iraq, in two thousand six. I, I by then I, I was a Marine captain, and, and I was an assistant operations officer for a unit uh, out of Camp Fallujah, and you know I I I actually. When we got there, my intent was to be riding out on convoys. You know, we knew how bad it was. We knew how bad the insurgents were. We knew what they were doing to people. We knew about the torture houses. And, and I, you know, like a naive uh, officer, I, I couldn't wait to get into the mix because I wanted to employ all this tactical training I had. But when you got to Al-Ambar province in August of 06, it was so bad that within two weeks, you couldn't even leave the camp unless you were part of the infantry. And, and, and by then, I was an assistant operations officer. So when I traveled around Al Ambar province, it was by Hilo. Uh, and that would be anywhere from the border near Syria all the way to Baghdad. And even then, it was exciting because the Hilo helicopters used to get lit up, especially flying in and out of Ramadi. So, you know, it was just a, it was a, it was a crazy deployment. We had a, a civilian killed 50 yards from me with a rocket attack on a, you know, in the middle of the day. The camp used to take incoming all the time. It was just a Al Ambar province was not a good place to be in 06 at, at all. And then I got out of the country and redeployed home the week before the surge started. Um, you know, it was just it, it was a surreal pressure cooker to be in for sure. Yeah, Iraq was was kind of bizarre because I was actually there in 06 as well. I was over in Balad. Oh, yeah. CJ Sodaf. And uh, I, I, I am intimately familiar with that location. <laughs> yeah, it's uh the burn pit in Mecca, right? Because I noticed you wrote about that a little bit. Well, uh, yeah, not only have I written about that, I wrote three columns at townhall.com, and uh, I just submitted one to Fox News uh, to the opinion page uh, that I have to cut down a little bit later and resubmit uh, to run, I think, Monday. But, and, I, and I was on Dana Perino's daily briefing talking about this issue. And, and the reason being is that I was a supremely fit 35-year-old Marine captain in Fallujah in 2006. And, I mean, I, I, was, I was shredded. I was running, you know, 20-minute, three miles, maxing my pull-ups. And all you had to do, though, when you're in country, your entire life is work, work out, eat and sleep in that order. And, and the irony is that Camp Fallujah had this huge burn pit in the southeast part of the, of the camp. And when you would be running, you would actually run by it. So while you're getting healthy and fit, you're inhaling all of these carcinogenic fumes, which are just destroying you. I, so, I, so, I completely so, understand. Believe yeah. me. So I get home a month and a month after I get home, I start, I get sick. Like as in they diagnose you with pneumonia and I missed two weeks of work as a Marine officer for the first time ever. And I could, and then it took me two more weeks to recover they said it was pneumonia, and I thought, okay, this was just a random thing. But then when I got healthy, I started coughing, and, it, and the cough got bad. Even when I was healthy, it took the VA two and a half years to figure out that I, was, uh, that I had sustained permanent lung damage to my small airways. The VA pulmonologist called it a, the chronic bronchitis type of COPD. Now, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2009, and I assumed, since the VA had diagnosed it, that they were including it in my disability rating. 
Now, I never thought about the burn pits until about two years ago. And, and by the way, you know, from 2009, 2010 until now, it grew progressively worse to the point where, you know, when I get a cold, it can turn into severe bronchitis or pneumonia. But when I'm healthy, I can work out with anybody. But when I'm sick, I am laid out. I have to take uh, steroids. I have to take antibiotics. I have a home nebulizer. It's really crazy because if you look at me, you're like, yeah, you're a really fit, like, 47-year-old guy. But when I get sick, I'm done. So I, I started hearing about the burn pit issue a couple of years ago. And the more I researched it, I realized, wait a second, this could be exactly the source of all my problems. So I, I, I found out there was this thing called the burn pit registry. I would recommend all your listeners to look into it and sign up for it. There's currently over 181,000 uh, active duty or veterans signed up for it. And, uh, you know, the next thing I did was reach out to the VA, and that's when I found out that my lung damage, the most serious thing I have that's irreversible, wasn't being covered. And so I, I you know, it wasn't being covered adequately. Uh, I think they gave me like 10% for like chronic sinus issues. And I'm like, that's not what I have. I'm like, you know, when I, when I get sick, I, I miss hundreds of hours of work. There's nothing I can do. And so uh, I ended up going, going through this 15-month-long ba battle with the VA to get my disability included in my rating. And that's how I ended up writing these three columns. And that's how I've become an advocate for, for anybody who suffered or sustained uh, lung damage as a result of the burn pits. Because I, since I've been doing this and I've been using my platform as a writer and my platform uh, in townhall.com and being on Fox News, I received you know, a couple dozen emails from people who, who weren't aware of it because it's not something you hear a lot about. Yeah, yes, there's this thing called the Burn Pit Accountability Act. But it hasn't even been passed yet, although it sounds like when they pass the defense bill, uh, a version of it is going to get approved. But all the Burn Pit Accountability Act does is guarantee that every service member who returns from deployment gets evaluated and, and a notation goes into his or her record. It doesn't guarantee coverage, consideration, or care. And, and that's really why I, I've been kind of pushing this issue, because Congress needs to get the VA to to actually rewrite the diagnostic code they use to determine disability ratings. Believe it or not, and this is the craziest thing I've learned about all this, the, the code they used was written in 1945. For <laughs> so I know when I told Dana Perino that live on TV, she's like, you're kidding me. And I was like, nope, that is a fact. And uh, they, they did undertake an effort. They, I should say they, they started an effort to rewrite the code in 2009. But the part that applies to all these medical conditions from burn pits, still 1945. Yeah, and you know, I um, I pushed that out a lot before, like on my social media and stuff, because Balad was one of the biggest offenders when it came to the burn pits, and you could literally, when a the the smoke didn't rise, it just leveled all over the post. So you know, I was fairly healthy when I went over. When I got back, you know, my lung capacity was lower. Never had allergies before, and now whenever I get allergies, like I'm, I'm choking on just uh, on mucus and everything. Not to be, you know, graphic for anybody out there, but yeah. So I did the burn pit registry thing. I, you know, I've been a very big, kind of outspoken here and there about it, but it's kind of in a back burner now. You know, about five, six years ago, it became, you know, hey, let's talk about the burn pits. Then all of a sudden, hey, let's not talk about the burn pits. So seeing you doing op eds and everything is perfect.
and it needs to get out there. I don't know if you're familiar with the Burn Pits uh, 360. I, I am, actually. I followed them. They follow me, I believe, uh, and, and I'm going to tag them on this uh, Fox News opinion piece. I actually talked to Tulsi Gabbard's uh, director of communications earlier this week and got the latest update, and that's why, I'm, that's why I'm actually writing this opinion piece as an overall summary as to where we are. And the title of the piece is... Uh, you know, a second class citizenry of wounded veterans because of, you know, it, because that's what it is. This no, is one absolutely. of those issues that's that no, that's not talked about. But when you talk about talk to veterans about it, I, I've talked to so many people who have had their claims denied and then they don't know what else to do. But yeah, well, you're I, talking to another one right now because I went in there. I went to a uh, an allergist and this is for the audience, too. This is just kind of like one of those things we need to talk about. You know, you go into a. Uh, to get evaluated and like, oh, that has nothing to do with this. I'm like, well, before the war, I never had allergies. I never had this. I never had that. My lung capacity was perfect. And now I'm a mess. So what's the deal, VA? You know? Well, so what I would tell you is uh, Google Matthew Bentley broken promises and read the third column because it lays out the specific criteria that the VA gave me to actually uh, – to get my lung condition covered and, and it, it's crazy, uh, you know, but they don't tell people that unless you press it. Like I said, it took me exactly. 15 months and I'm someone who followed every direction they gave me to a T, but they would give me mixed directions so that someone would tell me to do something. I would do it. Then when I would call back a, a month later to follow up, they would tell me that I had done the wrong thing and that the person had given me bad instructions <laughs> and, it was, and it went on like that for six months. I mean, it now, was just. Did you use any VSOs or anything like that? I did not. I did it all myself. I had all my medical records. Uh, I, I I did it all myself. But I, I've heard that veteran service officers can can be a great aid in, in in helping pursue these claims. Yeah, I uh, I had very good. I didn't use the uh, disabled American vets for that disability, but uh, you know, I think I really need to reevaluate that because there's no reason that you know I'm I'm the same 46 and you know my lung capacity is. Not the greatest. <laughs> uh, well, oh I'm, man, I know I that, that's life. It is, man. It is, and it, and that's a shame because it's like, you know, twenty years from now they'll be like, oh yeah, you know what? Um, yeah, we made a mistake. We probably shouldn't have burned everything and anything yeah, right next to where you guys are living. So, uh, so yeah, man, good times. It is. <laughs> so you get back. Um, how did the you know? How was the transition back from the war? Uh, you know, the transition was like anything else. Uh, I, I didn't suffer, if you're, especially if you're asking about PTSD. I, you know, other than being, it's, it's more, it's more of like you know, just getting back into the swing of things. Uh, it, yeah. It, well, it, yeah. So for for me now, I came back and I, I went back to my old ways of like drinking hard on the weekends. But I that that wasn't because of the war. That was just because of who I was. So I went back to my old uh, wicked ways until I finally, you know, got my head on straight two and a half years after I re redeployed. But it, it was a, it was a transition like anything else. I think uh, plus I, I was miserable and, and I needed to move on to the next phase of my life. And I knew that. So for me, you know, I did that. I, I, I took a government job and then I uh, then I, I decided I wanted to be a writer. And and that's really where the, where the passion is right now because that's what I do. Now, 
you know, just to transition back, I mean, we're kind of jumping all over the place, but there's a lot of important topics. And one is uh, this podcast, we really deal a lot with stress and, and everything else. And we kind of hit that once in a while because it's a big thing in the LEO community and the vet community. Now, how did you recognize you had a, a problem with, with alcohol? Was it because of stress or was it just because? No, it's because I, I was already an alcoholic by the time I went into the Marine Corps. I, and I, hell, I was probably an alcoholic by the time I was out of college. I, I just had that mentality. I'm sure I was predisposed to it. I, I, and, I, and the thing is, I wasn't one of those guys who was drinking during the week. But when I drank, you know, it was like 30 beers and I was a lunatic. You know, we used to joke if we were going to go out drinking, somebody was going to go to jail, somebody was going to go to the hospital, or something was going to be on fire or a combination of all of the above. And, uh, you know, and that's just the way that I live my life. And, and I'm sure that's part of the allure of the Marine Corps. It was the ultimate work hard, play hard service. And, uh, you know, but, but again, the older you get, you do get a little bit wiser, you get a little bit of self-awareness. And, and in my case, you know, I, I, I knew that I, I, I knew that if I didn't deal with my issue, I was going to end up dead, unemployed, alone, or all of the above. And, and, and that's why I finally, you know, reached out to the military for help. And the military said, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And they, and they helped me. And, and I haven't looked back. And, I, and I'll never go back to that way of living. I've written about it. I've talked about it in every interview. Uh, I've written articles about it. You know, the big, the best thing that I can do is actually bring awareness to this issue. Just so, just the way that I talk about burn pits now. That's perfect. And you know what, actually having a positive story about going to the military and, you know, kicking it. And I'm sure, did you have a support network in place as well? Uh, I, I mean, my wife, my family, my friends, they, they all, it's, it wasn't a secret that I was a raging lunatic uh, when I drank. <laughs> it, it was, it was a, a horrible secret. <laughs> To say the least, I just yes. managed to avoid mostly staying out of trouble and, and doing what I needed to do. But, you know, I, I, I always joke I'm probably a better Marine Corps officer now than when I was in just because I'm completely clear headed and sober and I try and do the right thing. That's perfect. And especially when it comes to writing, I'm sure. Yep. Now, how does a how did you I really want to talk about that, the writing? How do you. Get it on paper because like me, I wrote nonfiction and nonfiction is fairly easy because I'm writing about myself or topics. But, you know, laying out a storyline that, you know, is going to go for more than one book. Uh, well, so in my case, I, I always knew I wanted to write at least three books. I also when I made the decision, uh, I decided I wanted to write these insane action packed roller coasters, but that have very relatable characters and very authentic action. I mean, my books are comprised of sections that have 50, 60 page action sequences where you literally I've had people tell me that they are gasping for breath because they're so intense because I visually put people in the situation I'm writing about. So for me, I, I knew what the stories were going to be uh, right from the beginning. And, and I sat down and wrote exactly what I wanted with Overwatch. Now, my actual process, I, I've heard authors, uh, you know, so a lot of people like to outline I don't use any outlines. I think I had one page of notes in a leather journal for Overwatch. Uh, I, every day I, I put on a headset. I, I know what I want to accomplish for that day, but I actually don't feel like a writer. And, and I've done my research beforehand so that I'm ready to go when I, when I start typing, but I feel like I'm more of like a scribe. I see the action in my head. I feel the emotion. I hear the dialogue. And all I'm doing is just transcribing what I'm seeing and experiencing in my head. 
the next thing I know, you know, I got three pages, six pages, or whatever I'm trying to target for that day. Now, are you using Word or Scrivener? I, I use Microsoft Word. Okay. Yeah. Now, growing up, were you into movies and stuff? So, like, Absolutely. very visual? Yeah. Yes, totally. In fact, everyone who's read my books like, has told me you write some of the most visual thrillers out there. Uh, in fact, we actually had a major movie deal. Uh, the books have been optioned by Thunder Road Pictures. We had the producer who had done Lone Survivor, Wind River, Hell or High Water. And then, unfortunately, he took a job managing Balboa Productions for Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I mean, I can't make this up. And as a result, Thunder Road reevaluated the project and cut it, and we're back to square one. But we, ha we have interested parties. That's cool. I had um, Max Martini on. You're the second ago. person I've talked to who, who's actually had Max Martini on. <laughs> he's awesome, man. And he's got a lot of great projects right now. And, you know, that's why I'm always talking to people. I'm like, you know, when you're writing books, when you're developing things, and you're in a movie, it's almost, it's the same visualization, it seems like, where you just have this in your mind, you know, you, you see the story and you just put it on paper. And I kind of see like that when you're writing a script, it's almost like the same way. Oh, yeah, no, Absolutely. That's really cool. So what's next for you? I mean, uh, well, besides the government job and everything, I mean, obviously you're going to keep writing and, and doing some news and op-eds and everything. Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, we're currently trying to uh, figure out what, what the status is for books five and six. And then we are... Uh, you know, we're off and running to the races and we want to, obviously we want to get a, get another movie deal or a series, but I'm, I just want to keep going. And at the same time, as the platform grows, I want to try and bring greater visibility to the issue of the burn pits, as well as talk about sobriety and recovery. Now that's, I, I'm excited, man. You know, I just found out about you a couple of weeks ago because I was talking to your, uh, your publishing group about some interviews I have coming up with some other authors and uh, I'm really glad we actually got in touch and were able to do this. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So where can we find you? Oh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Betley. I actually got re I recently uh, obtained that elusive blue check mark, uh, oh. which, which, believe it or not, actually does make a difference. I had been told that it does, but I didn't believe it. And then once you actually get it, I, I know it's totally ridiculous, but you start getting followed by people like some pretty big celebrities and people in the media i'm just like wow that's pretty wild but uh so people can follow me on twitter at matthew betley there's a facebook fan page and then of course there's matthewbetley.com and the books uh are available anywhere books are sold yeah i'm gonna definitely um link to all your books all your social media and everything Excellent. but i really i really appreciate this conversation man you know what get another part two going that's gonna be my new thing because uh i'm trying to keep it under 30 35 minutes uh, but man, I got to start doing some part twos because you have a lot of story to tell. I mean, we could talk about the burn pits all day long. It's, you know, it's really near and dear to my heart as well. So, uh, sure. I'll definitely have you on again if you'd like to. Awesome. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Thanks, Jason.